This is a reminder, you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. That was Jaden Lavick with My Father's World. You're listening to Faith FM. We're about to have another clue for our quiz. Still double prizes available for this one. So give us a call if you know the answer. 1-800-324-843 is the number to call. Lawson, what have you got for us? Okay. What book am I? Quote, we have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The thoughts. Oh, you're so incorrect, Lyle. Oh. Okay, all right. Moving on, moving on, <laughs> moving on. Moving on with the show. Let's talk about the book of Daniel, shall we? Yes. In fact, yes. before we talk it. about the book of Daniel, we probably should talk about um, the bushfire crisis, mm-hmm. and a lot of people looking for places to donate. Of course, you can go to adra, adra.org.au and you can donate there to support the uh, bushfire crisis here in Australia. That's one of the many places, and of course there are many charities and good charities around that are providing support for uh, the bushfire crisis that we have here in Australia. We should also talk about the um, app. We haven't talked. About, have we talked about the app this year? I don't think we have. I don't think we've talked about the app this year. We need to talk about the app. Okay, so if you're living in an area where you are getting a uh, delayed broadcast or as we had this morning, we had some tech challenges where a lot of people didn't get the live show, if you want to ensure that you always get the live show or if you're in an area where you know the, the transmitter is a bit of a distance to you so you want to get a scratchy signal or you sort of drive out of that signal as you're heading to work, the way that everybody listens to radio these days, you need to get with the times, is through the app. Mm. Simply go to your app store, download Faith FM Australia, and press play. That's yeah. all there is to it. Bam. And you run that through your uh, car stereo, and you have radio with you wherever you go. You run it through your headset, um, even underneath your earmuffs or whatever, if you're wearing hearing protection in your workshop, and you have Faith FM radio. This is the best thing that you can do for your spiritual growth, where you can you know, be connected with God all day long, whatever it is that you are doing. So we highly recommend that everybody get the app. That way you can listen to Faith FM anywhere in the world that mm. you have service. Bam, there you go. Yeah, I've, I've listened to Faith FM in the United States, in Singapore, in Ethiopia. Just amazing. I've recorded Faith FM in yeah, we, in, in, indeed in you have, Lawson. Indeed you have. You've transmitted from Ethiopia. <laughs> Which has been awesome. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Bible study. Bible study time. Daniel. Let's do it. Daniel. Oh, Let's go Daniel so chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2. Please, Lawson, yes, we're going to we review go. something that we looked at last week. And we're going to take it to the next level. What do you got for us in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2? During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So King Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia 
and place them in the treasure house of his God. Okay, how many kings do we have mentioned? Two. How many nations do we have mentioned? Two. How many cities do we have Two. mentioned? Two. And what are those cities called? Babylon and Jerusalem. And they are in conflict with each other. Yes. Okay, so we're going to look through the story this week of Daniel chapter 1 and these young men and the pressure that is placed on them to conform to the practices of Babylon. But as we are introduced to the book of Daniel, we notice that Daniel is brought to us with these two verses. Whenever you find Jerusalem and Babylon being mentioned together, and of course Jerusalem and Babylon are the two cities that are featured in the book of Revelation, and in the book of Revelation they are in conflict with each other, and in the book of Revelation, who wins? Jerusalem. And in the book of Daniel, who wins? Well... <laughs> uh, <ooh. laughs> uh, Trick question right there. All right, let me rephrase that then. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1, who wins? Babylon. Are you sure? Ooh, this is the, <laughs> the, tricky, the tricky right here. Okay, all right. Maybe I'll phrase it this way. Mm-hmm. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, who appears to win? To all appearances. To well, all human, human appears, appearances. Human appearances. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. Yeah, yeah, Babylon appears to win. And pretty convincingly, wouldn't yes. you say? Like this is a convincing defeat for mm. the uh, nation of Judah. Um, all right, so we have to ask ourselves, you know, isn't that kind of the wrong way around? Isn't that the opposite of how it should be? Shouldn't it be, you know, God's church, God's people that is winning? Mm-hmm. Uh, why is it that Satan's nation is the one that is winning right here? And we also have to ask ourselves the question, if these two cities are used as a symbol of the great controversy down through Scripture, how did that start? Where did that idea come from? Yeah. Why is it that Babylon is used? You know, why pick on Babylon? I mean, there's lots of other cities around in the world, you know, Rome, Nineveh. (laughs) Egypt. Yes, Memphis, Thebes, these are all cities that have terrible reputations Mm. for enormous atrocities. So why pick on Babylon? Mm. Why couldn't it be Corinth? Yeah, true. Or Sydney? (laughs) Sydney. (laughs) Newcastle. Canberra. Why why pick on Babylon and use Babylon as the symbol of all that is evil? Mm. Well, it's in the name, Lyle. Oh, okay. Yeah. What does the name mean? Well, Babylon means like like the city of confusion. Comes from babbling on. Yeah. Do well, you want to remember what the uh, name means? Just think of babbling on. Yeah. It's where they babbled on when the languages were confused. Which raises a question in the Bible. Where is Babylon first mentioned in the Bible? If you're going to find the origins of the city of Babylon, how far back in the Bible are you going to need to go? You're going to go to Genesis. Chapter? Uh, Ten. Ten. Well done. Good guess. Big pressure. Okay, that's a long way back in the Bible. So this is a city that goes from one end of the Bible to To the the other. other. Mm. So we need to understand why is it that Babylon is mentioned here, and why is it that Babylon throughout Scripture is a symbol of all that is evil, Mm. Satan's evil empire? Mm. Why is that the case? Okay, so uh, let's go to Genesis chapter 10, and let's go to verse 8 
through 10. If you could read that one for us, please. Genesis chapter 10, 8 through 10, turning pages. Here we go. Uh, Cush was also the ancestor of Nimrod, who was the first heroic, heroic warrior on earth. Since he was the greatest hunter in the, in the world, his name became proverbial. People would say, this man is like Nimrod, the greatest hunter in the world. He built his kingdom in the land of Babylonia with the cities of Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh. Okay, so we know a few, few things about Nimrod from, uh, from history and from archaeology. The Bible here talks about him being you know, the greatest hunter in the world. Uh, the implication in this passage that he was a, that he was a hunter against God. Mm. How that actually works, I don't know. According to history, this was the man who invented warfare. We know that he invented uh, the concept of globalization and mm. built the first great empire uh, because he's the first person who's recorded as building cities and then uh, conquering other cities. Mm. And so, and we also know from history that this was somebody who was in earnest opposition to God. Mm-hmm. He started the first recorded rebellion against God after the flood. Mm. Yeah, so the flood comes, everybody's seen the flood, uh, it's kind of undeniable, you can't... Uh, you know, so oh well, you know, nobody was there, nobody saw it. It's like no, we all were all there, we all saw it, and so they're all worshippers of God, and they were all you know followers of God. As a result of that, and Nimrod comes along and goes, you know what? I'm not going to follow God. I'm going to invent my own religion in opposition to God. I'm going to follow Satan instead of God. Now we know mm. that this is the case because of the religious symbolism that comes out of the uh, Babylon that Nimrod founded. You know, and when you look at some of the symbolism, it's very, very specific about who he chose to worship. Mm. Um, one of those symbols being a snake with wings. Where in nature do you find a snake with wings? Oh, you don't really. You don't. That's right, Lawson. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> if you came to work one day and said, hey, I saw a snake flying past my window the other day. Yeah, we'd get some help for you. Wow, Lyle, throwing me under the bus. We, no, I wouldn't throw you under the bus. We'd get some help for you. We would. <laughs> You'd help me. We would. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. These really nice people would come, <laughs> put you on a padded van, take you away to a nice place where you could, you know... It would be, it'd be just... Okay, Lyle. Okay, I get it. Anyways. Um, in, in, All right. So, yes. Oh, snakes with wings don't exist. They don't. But it's... And they, they are the most unlikely thing to add wings to. Mm. Yeah, you, you're itching oh, to say I'm something. Oh, just like itching to say something because I, um, I watched this like when we were in school, we did this thing where we like watched a fake mockumentary that was existed to be fake for school purposes about dragons and it was this whole thing of like dragons must be real because every religion, like and and all these ancient artifacts in the world, all contain dragons. So where could they possibly, you know, how can the Aztecs have the same ideas as yeah. the English? Oh, and absolutely. How can the English have, you know, the Saxons have the same idea as as the Egyptians? How can the dragon be such a universal system, a universal symbol in religion and around the world when it doesn't even exist? And all these people are supposed to not meant to have met each other, but it's really cool when you go to the Bible and you go to like, and we, you know, find the origins of that in Babylonian religion, which is like 
spread from there all over the world. And this is what you find. You find that universally around the world, the snake is worshipped. Mm. Anywhere you go, there is the worship of the snake. Anywhere where there are snakes. Mm-hmm. I don't think they worship in New, in New Zealand. <laughs> um, so anywhere where you go where there's snakes, they, they worship the snake. And almost universally, that snake has wings. Mm. I want you to think about that. Why would you put wings on a snake? If you were going to put wings on any kind of creature, the snake surely would be the last one. Mm-hmm. You know, because when you see a bird take off, it hops and then flies away. Mm-hmm. How's a snake going to do that? You know, it's just, it's the most ungainly thing that you could ever possibly imagine putting wings that is, on. Imagine it just like slithers up to speed and then starts producing lift like a plane. <laughs> Everywhere. You know, it's kind of like the tail wagging the dog. It would be a tail with wings, you know, flying through the air. How's that even going to work? (laughs) It's just just not. (laughs) But everywhere throughout the ancient world, on every continent, you have snakes being worshipped and almost universally they have wings. Mm. So where do you dream that up? You know, I can see somebody dreaming up a horse with wings. Yeah, 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 maybe. But a snake with wings? Maybe not. Yeah. How do you dream that up? The answer, I believe, is because... They chose as a symbol the angel who became a serpent, a snake. Mm. And angels have wings and snakes have wings. And the only connection between snakes and wings that there is in the ancient world is the Bible story Mm, of the Garden of Eden. And when Nimrod has chosen to worship a snake with wings, who is he very, very very openly and clearly choosing to worship. Same. Okay, so this is a very bold move. He's rebelled against God and he's looked around and he's like, okay, if I'm not going to worship God, what's the alternative? I'm going to go with the alternative and that is Satan. Mm. Now, last time the world worshipped Satan, what did God end up doing? Flooding it. Flooding the world. Is Nimrod in a position where he can deny that that happened? No. Why not? Because he has second-hand and first-hand accounts of that yeah. happening. Just go and ask Noah. Yeah. And, and, and Or Shem, Ham, or Japheth. You know, go and ask your grandfather. Yeah. Um, and he can give you an eyewitness account mm. of the flood. So he's not in a position that where he, you know, we're 4,000 years down the track and we can say, well, you know, nobody was there. Maybe it didn't happen with a flood. Maybe it happened with over billions of years or something or other, you know, and, and, and we know that scientists often do that to their detriment. Um, but Nimrod was not in that kind. He did not have the, the benefit, if you want to call it that, or the luxury of 4,000 years of gap in mm. time. And so when he rebels against God, not only does he rebel against God, but he also builds a tower. And mm. there is a connection between those two. What do you think the connection between the two might be? Well, in rebelling against God and building this tower, I would say, right, because like when the world flooded, like when anything floods, there's an obvious like water rises to the point where, you know, in the global flood, it was like that everything died and drowned. That's right. And so, but if, if you lived in a sick tower that was taller than the rising water, well, then you'd be safe. Uh-huh. So, you get everyone together to build a huge tower so that they'd be safe in a flood, so then that would allow them to worship Satan. 
Okay, so the tower is an admission to the power of God, mm. and it is a means of surviving their rebellion. Mm. It's like, okay, God, we're going to rebel against you. We know that you have the power to flood the world, and you could do that because we have chosen to rebel against you, and so we will build ourselves a means of survival. Mm. Uh you know the, the the rebellion that the Bible lists here is that God had told them to go out and to spread around the world and to populate the world, and Nimrod has like no, don't do that. Let's live in cities and let's clump together mm. and let's build you know these great empires, and this is going to be rebellion against God and let's make this tower a symbol of our power and a symbol of the fact that we do not need to serve God. We can do the opposite of serving God. So that tower is a symbol of the fact that they are doing the opposite of what God said. Because mm. they said, you know, let us build a tower whose height will reach to heaven so that we're not scattered abroad. Mm-hmm. And God said, scatter yourselves abroad. And so the tower is not just a means of survival, but it is a symbol of them making a statement to God, we refuse to do what you told us to do. Yeah. So this is rebellion on a vastly different scale than what we have today. We have people today who go, you know what? I've never seen God. I am unsure that God exists. I have never seen creation. I'm unsure that creation ever took place. I've never seen the flood, and I'm unsure that that happened. You know, let's possibly it could have happened over millions of years. Mm-hmm. And because these events took place 4,000 years ago, they can get away with that. Mm. And they can get away with that as a reasonable human being. Nimrod could not get away with that as a reasonable human being because anyone could go and have a chat with Noah or any of his sons or their wives and have a first-hand account. Yeah. So that was not a was not a reasonable thing to do. So the only reasonable thing to do was like, okay, we're going to rebel against God. We need to be able to, first of all, we're going to have a symbol of our rebellion against God. We're going to shove it in God's face by building a tower and we're going to use that same tower as a means of survival. Mm. So this is a very, very, very different level of rebellion against God. And Babylon, as a city, remains in rebellion against God right the way through. Mm. In fact, this is the origin of a lot of you know, the practices of paganism that have come down to us even to this day. It yeah. goes all the way back there to... Uh, Nimrod's religion. And of course, in many ways, because they built that tower themselves, if you want to look at it from an allegorical perspective or a symbolic perspective, it was human beings saying, we can save ourselves without God. We can save ourselves Mm. from God without God, Mm. which is symbolic of salvation by works. Yeah, wow. Salvation by works is exactly the same thing. If you want to look at this allegorically, we can save ourselves without God, and we can save ourselves from God. Mm. Oh, man, how deceived. Like, that is so, that's such a rough place to be in. Oh. Indeed. Well, as the religion of Nimrod spread around the world, we can read in Genesis chapter 11 the whole story of how it was at the Tower of Babel that... God said, you know what, I told human beings to go out and spread around the world and they're not doing that. They're building an empire here. I'm going to break up this empire. And he confuses the languages. And, of course, that gives you the origin of races and languages that we have today. And, of course, it was very effective because people spread away in language groups. Uh, Of course, that then concentrated genes 
And when you have a concentrated gene pool, it only takes about six generations to create a new race. Mm. And so all of these new races came into being and they came into being and they, they went to many different parts of the world. And that's why you have wherever you go in the world today, you have the worship of the sun, you have the worship of the serpent, uh, you have the worship of the balance of the universe, you have the worship of nature, uh, you have fertility rites. These were all a part of the ancient Babylonian religion. And they demonstrate that that religion has a common origin and that common origin is in Babylon. Along with that, of course, there were those who were worshippers of God and those who were converted. And so when you spread around the world, you can find evidences of that also. Everywhere you go in the world, you can find the gospel story being preserved in one way or another. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That is the reason the scriptures record. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now the Lord looked down from his window in the sky and said, I created man, but I don't remember why. Nothing but fighting since creation day. I'll send a little water and I'll wash him all away. So the Lord came down to look around the spell, and there he found Noah behaving mighty well. And that's the reason the scriptures record that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That is the reason the scriptures record. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord said, Noah, there's going to be a flood. There's going to be some water. There's going to be some mud. Take off your hat, Noah, and take off your coat. Get Ham, Sham, and Japheth and build yourself a boat. Noah said, Lord, I don't believe I could. The Lord said, Noah, get some sturdy gopher wood. You never know what you can do till you try. Build it 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That is the reason the scriptures record. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Then Noah said, there she is, there she is, Lord. The Lord said, Noah, it's time to get aboard. Now take a creature, a he and a she, and of course Mrs. Noah and the whole family. Noah said, Lord, it's getting mighty dark. The Lord said, Noah, get these creatures in the ark. Noah said, Lord, it's beginning to pour. The Lord said, Noah, hurry up and shut the door. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That is the reason the scriptures record. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now the ark rose up on the foot of the deep, and after forty days, Mr. Noah took a peek and said, We're not moving, Lord. Where are we at? The Lord said, You're sitting on Mount Ararat. Noah said, Lord, it's getting mighty dry. The Lord said, Noah, see the rainbow in the sky. Take all the food. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he landed high and dry. And he landed high and dry. And he landed high. And, of course, Noah did find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Mm. Praise God for that. We're back with our Encounter with God section. Lawson, give us another clue for our quiz. Oh, yeah. Where is it? Where did I put the thing? This one's proven to be somewhat obscure. Okay, here we go. Okay, this is it. This is, this is your time, Lyle. This is your time. It's about to time. What book am I? In my first chapter, Cyrus the Persian makes a proclamation that the Jews may return to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the temple. Well, at least I was close last time. Yeah. 
You were. You were close. And now you know what it is. So, good for you. That means that uh, no doubt prizes. That book starts with the same words that the last one ends. Yeah. Apparently. No. It's identical. I'm going to look this up. It's identical. I'm going to look this up. I, I, I do not believe this is the case. How can this possibly be the case? It's, it's the truth. The, card, the first two verses. The card says so. Let me read it again. It says, the first two verses of this book are virtually the same as the last two verses of the book that precedes it. Okay. So it's the first two verses of Ezra. Okay, okay. I had the first two verses of the wrong one there. I was kind of like that. That's freaky. That's freaky. (laughs) That's that's actually freaky. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. That's a real thing. Yeah. How can that even be possible? What do you mean? Wow! What do you mean? How can it be possible? Well, the, the, because this this is this is like in a different time era to that, to Second Chronicles. You're giving away clues here, Lawson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a very very okay. That was a terrible. Lyle's mind is, is no, being blown. It is actually <laughs> like wow. Um, yeah, that um, mm. Lawson. Yes. You nearly gave away the quiz. Nah. I think you may have given away the cl- nah. quiz. Nah, I, I never give stuff away. Um, I only give books away for free when people give the answer to the quiz. So give us a call 1-800-324-843 and you will win a book if you know which book we're talking about. Okay, so Babylon. We were talking about Babylon, how yes. Babylon has become a symbol of all that is evil right the way down through history. Let's now go to the city of Jerusalem. How far back in the Bible are you going to need to go to find the origins of the city of Jerusalem? Ooh, just a few chapters ahead in Genesis chapter 14. Yeah, in fact, in my Bible, you just got to turn one page. There it is. Bam, there you go. Genesis chapter 14, and we find the very first mention of the city of Jerusalem under very, very different circumstances. And we're going to see why these two cities become symbolic of such different religious movements. Babylon starts out as a place of open, bold-faced rebellion against God. Jerusalem starts out in a very different way in the Mm -hmm. Bible. So if we just give a bit of background to the story, Abraham is living in the, the, uh, the land of Israel. Uh, the the land of Palestine. Mm-hmm. His cousin, his nephew, I should say, Lot, is living in the Jordan Valley in a city called Sodom. The ruling superpower are the Elamites. Mm-hmm. And the Elamites were a very, very, very significant power for a very, very long time. They come from modern-day Persia or Iran. Mm-hmm. That's a long, long way away in those days. You know, this is back in the days of Abraham. This is a long distance. But they reign over a very large empire because it stretches all the way down into the Jordan Valley and Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the valley are a part of that empire. Mm. Okay. The cities down there in the valley, they're like, you know what, we're kind of on the outstretches, outskirts of the empire. We're a long way from where the Elamite capital is. It's not really worth their while to come down here and bother us again, so let's rebel against them and let's stop paying them taxes. Mm. And so they go independent. So the Elamites, you know, and of course in these days, in those days the cities were fairly small, the Elamites send down an army to bring the uh, people of Sodom and Gomorrah back into line. However... The Elamites are like, you know what? If we're going to make the effort to go that distance, 
let's just expand our empire. Mm. And so rather than just sending down an army, they send down a major invasion, like a major force. And the Bible says that in the first 14th year, Chedorlaomer, the king of the Elamites, and the kings that were with him came and smote the Rephaim in Ashtoreth and the Karnaim and the Zuzim in Ham and the Eminim in Shavath-Kerathaim and the Horites in their Mount Seir unto El Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to En-Mishphat, which is Kadesh, and they smote all the country of the Malachites and also of the Amorites that lived in Hazazon Tamar. And they went out the kings of Sodom, Sodom and the king of Gomorrah um, and they made a an alliance with five other kings, four other kings, sorry, five other kings to take down the Elamites. And so you've got a long list. I think there's a list of 14 different places here that they conquer. They are drastically expanding their empire. They have an army that is made up of uh, battle-hardened veterans. Mm. They have brought a very, very large military force with them. Uh, the Bible tells how they go on and they conquer the five kings of the Jordan Valley, mm. and they capture all of the wealth of the Jordan Valley and all of the people they're going to take back as slaves. And so in the ancient world, one of the primary, one of the most valuable things that you could gather as plunder was slaves. Mm. They were a uh, saleable cash commodity. And so... This was standard practice. When you conquered another nation, you would take a very, very large amount of slaves, and that's exactly what they do. Amongst those slaves is Abraham's nephew Lot and his family. Now, of course, Abraham hasn't been attacked. He doesn't own a city. He doesn't own a nation. He just owns a tent. Mm. He is a nomad, and typically nomads are not you know, attacked then. Empires and nations that are in empire building aren't really that concerned about nomads. There's not much they can do about nomads. And so Abraham is not attacked, but he hears that Lot has been taken captive. Now, if you're a nomad living in a tent and you hear that the Elamites have turned up with a massive army, you know, this is the the uh, ancient world equivalent of the United States. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, this this huge army has come down and taken him captive, and it's it's um it's a little bit like Thanos has turned up with a massive army of you know one of those weird things that aliens outriders <laughs> or whatever you know and you're gonna you're gonna turn around and you're gonna go up, up against these guys yeah you know with your uh, little band of your little war party the Bible describes it as 318 men that he pulls together mm. and he does. He pulls 318 men together and he attacks this huge, dark army that has been bearing down on the entire region and has turned it to a desert. Mm. This is an unstoppable military force and he's going after it with 318 men. That's a war party. Yeah. That is not an invasion force. Mm. He attacks them at night which is the most difficult military operation ever to accomplish because you never know who's your friend or who's your enemy at night. Mm. Except that when you've only got 318 men, it's pretty much likely that everyone who is around you is your enemy, so just kill them all. Mm. Uh, it would be one thing if he snuck in, rescued Lot and his family, and snuck back out again. Mm. Or had a bit of a skirmish somewhere and rescued these guys. 
But no, he attacks the entire force. He defeats them so convincingly that he drives them for 120 kilometers further north. Mm. They run in terror. This is the Elamites. <laughs> and he makes a beeline from that victory. He makes a beeline for the city of Melchizedek. Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And he's going there to worship because he knows that only God can provide a victory like that. And Jerusalem begins as a place of worship to God. Mm. This is Caitlin Clampett with Love Lifted Me. Crashing waves, crashing waves, he will never leave you. 
Hey, I'm Julia from Warrigal Seventh-day Adventist Youth. We meet every Saturday morning at 10am for an open discussion about Bible topics concerning our youth today. We're open to everyone wanting to join us and we'd love to see you there. Is forgiveness, or the lack of forgiveness, eating away at you? A relationship breakdown maybe, long-term hurt, unresolved conflict. You know, it can be dealt with. If you want to break the cycle and start living a more forgiving life, Forgive to Live is a program designed to help us all improve our lives and be more forgiving. Don't let it eat away at you anymore. If you're keen to discover the power of forgiveness, why don't you take that first step and head to forgivetolive.org.au. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Tomorrow we are king and bound. 
Yo, what up? Welcome back. Faith Fem. We are coming to our question of the day. And Lawson's been watching a video here about two kangaroos fighting and start and, and asking his question of the day. Yeah. It's basically which is, does the Bible glorify violence? <laughs> yeah. But it's also like is it is it morally okay to make Money. Okay, we're not just not going to go there. I think you're answering your own question yeah. as you ask it. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's lots of people who would tell me that it's not. Anyways, okay. Lyle, the real question of the day. Question of the day. This is something we've been, because we've been looking at globalistic empires and yes. Babylon and whatnot. Yes. Is globalism yes. inherently morally evil? Yes. No. Yes. Ooh. No. Oh, no, yes, no, oh, yes. wow. Really uh, we, sure. haven't had, we haven't had the clue for the quiz yet, by the way. Oh, oh yeah. Um, uh, if you didn't get it from the last one, then... Us. Anyway. I am one of five Old Testament books that whose name begins with E. There you go. E in the Old Testament. All right, coming back to our question, is globalism morally wrong? All right, let's look at what the Bible says. Uh, that um, Well, the point of globalism, of course, is to band the entire world together, to unite the world for economic purposes, for power purposes, mm. primarily for power purposes. Uh, the Bible says, and the God God instructed human beings, uh, Genesis 1 and verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God did not tell people to clump together. He's like spread out and fill the earth. He repeated that after the flood. So you go to Genesis chapter 9, and this was the great sin of the globalists in Genesis chapter 10 and 11 with the Tower of Babel. God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Okay? So we're told to spread out and to fill the earth. We were not designed to be banded together into, um, you know, cities and empires where power is concentrated in just a few individuals. God recognized that as a result of sin, ultimate power is going to ultimately corrupt and that's going to be a terrible idea. We were designed to fill the earth and to spread out. Mm. Uh, human beings weren't designed to live in human filing cabinets, also known as apartment blocks, or even in cities. We were designed to live in a country environment. That was God's original plan for us. Globalization pretty much runs the complete opposite to that because it's all about you know banding human beings together for the purposes of power. We could say economics, but really what it all boils down to is power. And so if you go to the other end of the Bible, the other end of the Bible has some very strong things to say about globalism. In fact, the book of Revelation is very globalistic. Everything you'll find in the book of Revelation that affects the end of time uses global language. But a couple of examples that we could look at very quickly. Uh, The Bible does teach that globalism will be a major sign that Jesus is coming back Uh, And so you can go to, say, for instance, Revelation chapter 16, where it says, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast and the false prophet. They are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go out to the kings or the political leaders of the whole world to gather the whole world to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Here you've got globalization taking place at the very end of time, and it is globalization against God. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Revelation chapter 17, the Bible says the ten horns which you saw, ten being a symbol of the whole world at the end of time, are ten kings which have received no kingdom, multiple kings, one kingdom, as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. Here you have the nations of the world uniting, 
behind the Antichrist. Uh, so the Bible doesn't teach that national sovereignty will disappear at the end of time, but the nations will pull together in globalization. That's exactly what we see happening in our world right now. Is that in and of itself morally wrong? No. The answer is no. It is wrong the way human beings do it. If you go to Daniel chapter 2, you will find God's new world order when God sets up globalization and God built a government based on love. And the Bible says, In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It will break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it will stand forever. Uh, for as much as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it broke in pieces, the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, the gold, the great God has made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. The Bible says that God will establish his kingdom. It will be a global kingdom. It will be a kingdom of love, and it will be a kingdom without sin. Take this world, but give me Jesus all its joy.
That was Mark Miller with Take the World, but give me Jesus. We have come to the end of The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. We have more amazing programming coming up right after this. But before we get to that, we have a giveaway. What have you got for us there, Lawson? Lyle, yes. are you ready? I am ready. What Are you Are you ready to take charge? <laughs> already did. Oh, okay. I, I, I'm already the boss. Yeah, so you're ready to take charge of your health. Indeed. Which is exactly the book that I am holding here. It's by uh, Eileen Luddington. Um, it's this awesome, amazing book called Take Charge of Your Health. We were talking a little bit earlier in the show about lifestyle diseases and how those things are a choice. And we fully have the ability through good health practices um, to be as healthy as we possibly can be, which is something that we should all want. This book, Take Charge of Your Health is an amazing, amazing book. Um, it has a bunch of testimonies from um, people who have done incredible things uh, with their life in terms of... He's like know, my hands deal and whatnot, isn't it? Sorry? Hands deal? Y- yeah, yeah. He's, he's yeah, part yeah, of this he's too. He's just amazing. He is awesome. Um, but yeah, this this book in particular is showing, you know, uh, making the connection between our spirituality and our health and then, the you know, the uh, the practical, you know, Things that we can do to benefit our health to to be in the best place which we can possibly be, which indeed is something that we all want. Indeed, absolutely. Okay, so if you would like that, here's what, here's what I'll do. Oh, Call through right now, and I will throw in for free a living well course oh. that you can do. You can sign up for it and do it for free. Bam! There you go. So we'll get you signed up for the living well course, and just. 13 amazing uh, health study guides that you can go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, right plus now... Plus epic book. Yep, plus that epic book. So right there, the two of them going together. So 1-800-324-843 is the number to call or text us on 0491-064-669. And don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. Upward I look and
Righteousness, the great unchangeable I am. 